All right, today is our fourth Sunday in our Advent celebration. And today we are going to look at the song of Simeon, a song of hope. The song of Simeon is recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Four short verses, another brief song, nonetheless powerful. Let's read our text today, Luke chapter 2, verses 29 through 32. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe, for all peoples of the earth. Father, we ask that you would today, by your Holy Spirit, Lord, illuminate your word, the word we hear preached and spoken, the word we read from your scripture, the word living in us. Father, that we would be a people, a people of light to shine forth in this world, that men might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven, that men would see the light of salvation and come to Jesus and be saved. Father, we thank you for the grace that has saved us, that has made us your church, We thank you, Father, that we are part of your body, universal, throughout time, past, present, and future. Father, this is our time of visitation on this earth. Help us to be a people to shine forth your glory that men would come to know salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. The Song of Simeon. Simeon knew the promise of God given long ages past, and he knew the promise given to him for his life. So we have promises that God has given us that are promises from long ages past, even to the beginning of time. And we have promises that God has given to us for our own lives, for our own time of visitation. Simeon waited in faith for God's promise. His hope in God did not fail, nor did God's promise to Simeon. Your hope in God should not fail, for God's promise certainly will not. Luke 2, verse 29, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. When Simeon saw the child, the baby Jesus, these were the words that came out of his mouth. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Simeon begins his song with the word, Lord. He uses this word and refers to his Lord here not as 
Lord Yahweh, Lord God Almighty. Here Simeon uses a word that refers to his Lord in the Greek, expressing him as his master. This is not the word that's typically translated Lord, that is kurios, that means the Lord God or Yahweh. Simeon uses the Greek word from which we get our word despot from, despotes. This word indicates one who has complete legal control and authority over a person. This is a Lord in the sense of a supreme master. Simeon refers to the Lord here as his master. It is a sign of complete humility and total submission to his master's will. It helps us understand how Simeon viewed his life and his time of visitation on this earth. The Lord was not just Simeon's God, he was his master. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. It is commonly held that Simeon was very advanced in age. He was an old man. And here in this verse, Simeon exclaims with joy and even relief that his Lord is now letting his servant depart in peace. The end of his service to his master here on earth was now in Simeon's view. This is the picture of a slave, not by compulsion, but in love, expressing his gratitude to his master for releasing or dismissing him from the service and the task to which he had been appointed. With great joy, Simeon's eyes have finally seen the Lord's Christ. Now Simeon could die in peace knowing that he had finally seen the consolation of Israel, the Lord's Christ, as the Spirit had revealed to him. Lord, now you are letting your servant, your servant, Simeon calls himself God's servant, or more accurately, this is the Greek word doulos, which literally is slave. Simeon calls himself God's slave. The word translated servant here is that word. Simeon was the slave of God. Simeon refers to the Lord as his master. The same way any slave would refer to an earthly master, this signified Simeon's complete submission to his God in love. Simeon did not serve God out of compulsion. Simeon did not serve God out of guilt. Simeon did not serve God because he was forced to and he was under threat of death required to. No, Simeon served his God, his Lord, his master out of love because Simeon loved his God with all of his heart, with all of his mind, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. In the preceding verses, in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 28, Luke gives us the background on Simeon, this servant slave of God. Let me read these four verses to you. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 28. These are the verses preceding the song 
of Simeon. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying... So the end of these four verses, the end of verse 28, is the introduction to Simeon's song. Who is Simeon? Who is this servant, this slave of God? Luke notes three things about this man of God. First, Simeon, a man in Jerusalem, is described as just and devout. This is no small thing given the environment in which Jesus was born to live and die and live again for us. It's easy to read over this. Simeon, a man in Jerusalem, was was just and devout, and we just keep going. This is an important thing that Luke has been inspired by to chronicle for us, to write about this man named Simeon, just and devout. We will see that many of those men called just and devout were in practice anything but that. Jesus was born into this world, and he was associated with many men who called themselves just and devout, who may have been thought of by those around them as just and devout. But in that day when men cried for the Lord of glory to be crucified, there were many men called just and devout who were anything but just and anything but devout. But the scripture says of this man, Simeon, that he is just and devout. He was truly a just and a devout man of God. And we are called to be no less today in Christ. Second, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's not idly waiting, he's actively waiting. He's not wasting his time waiting, He's maximizing his time waiting. He's waiting as he is looking to and trusting in his Lord and his master. Trusting in the leading of God's spirit and doing the things a truly just and devout man does. He was not just resting in God's grace. He was working in God's grace. And working by God's grace, the same way we work. We don't work for our salvation. Because God in His grace has saved us, we work for and by His grace. Third, the Holy Spirit was upon Him. 
In other words, Simeon was not just an old man living out his days waiting for death to take him. He had a mission from God and he was committed to that mission. He was just and devout. He waited for God's promise with expectation and faith. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He lived sensitive to the Spirit of God. You might say, well, Pastor Jeff, how do you know he did? Well, we know this because the Scripture records that he was led by the Spirit into the temple. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was living and looking with purpose for God's word to be fulfilled. In faith, he was waiting to see the Lord's Christ, the consolation of Israel. Simeon was living for the Messiah to come. As we celebrate Advent, we are reminded that we too are living to serve the Messiah that has already come. The Messiah who is our very life. The Messiah who is with us and who will come again. But not before we fulfill our own service to Him. To do so, like Simeon, we must be led by the Spirit of God who illuminates for us the very Word of God, both living, living in us and written. On that providential day, the scripture describes Simeon coming into the temple by the Spirit. Luke does not tell us how the Spirit led Simeon, only that he did. However Simeon was led, the Spirit impressed upon him to go to the temple on that day at that time, and so he came by the Spirit into the temple. Today, we might call that chance a coincidence, or fate. I promise you, Simeon was not trusting in chance, or coincidence, or fate. He trusted in his Lord and Master. He came by the Holy Spirit into the temple to see the promise of God. And by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple on that day at the exact hour, and he saw Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Like Simeon, we are to be led by the Spirit. We would do well to trust and to acknowledge the Holy Spirit in all things instead of luck or coincidence. We are to acknowledge the Spirit's work in our life. If a solitary sparrow, as Jesus taught us, cannot fall to the ground apart from the Father's will, surely... The things that happen in this world, the things that happen in our lives are not simply coincidence or luck or chance. Understand them or not, like them or love them or not, the ways of God are mysterious, but they are never separated from His perfect and complete love for us and His plan and purpose in all things. We do not understand His ways. We freely confess this. But we are commanded to trust Him and to give thanks in all things for all of His ways. 
It is his love poured out in our hearts that gives to us the grace to do this. If he is not Lord over all, he is not Lord at all. Be assured our God is the sovereign Lord over all. Be sure that his love for you in Christ is perfect and complete. Even when we can do nothing but walk by faith through the valley of shadow. We are called servants. In fact, we are called slaves of God. We are not different than Simeon in that regard. He was called by God to give witness to the Lord's Christ. He waited faithfully for that day when his eyes would behold the consolation of Israel. He saw Jesus. He held Jesus. He rejoiced in Jesus. He rejoiced to see and to hold and to proclaim the Lord's Christ. We are like Simeon in that we are called to be slaves to God. We are called to give witness to his Christ. Yet we are very different from Simeon. As blessed as Simeon was to see and to hold and to proclaim the baby Jesus, we are infinitely more blessed than Simeon. For Jesus is no longer a baby to be held. He, in fact, is the Savior. He is the Savior that holds us. We do not see Jesus in the flesh, but we are the body of Christ in the Spirit, and the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God. This is His grace poured out for us all. We are His body, yes, in flesh and blood, filled with the very life of Christ by the Holy Spirit. We have a reality now in the risen Christ that Simeon, in his day, could not enter into. I would venture to say he could not even imagine, though he looked for it by faith. Luke chapter 2, verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Lord, your servant can depart in peace now, for my eyes have seen your salvation. For Simeon, prior faith is rewarded with present sight. One day, too, our faith will be rewarded with sight when we see him face to face. Simeon declared, for my eyes have seen your salvation. When Simeon saw the baby Jesus carried in the temple in the arms of Mary with Joseph, Simeon knew that he was seeing the Lord's salvation. This is a title for the Messiah that all Israel was waiting to see. Jesus is not only the Savior, he is salvation. Simeon had waited many years. He had the promise of God revealed by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now on this glorious day, Simeon saw the salvation of God. He saw the Lord's Christ in the form of the infant Jesus. Now we cannot think about Simeon seeing God's salvation without thinking about all the people that day with eyes to see but unable to see the salvation of the Lord. These were not people who were physically blind, but they were spiritually blind. 
They had eyes to see physically, but they could not see spiritually the Lord's salvation. How often do we walk around seeing, yet still blind to all the ways the Lord's salvation is revealed to us? How often do we see, yet not truly see, what God is revealing to us? Aren't you glad that he is long-suffering? If you have eyes to see, think about all those who do not. We read the news. We see reports of horrible things that happen, of sin, of destruction, of death. And we become angry. We become angry at people. But we need to remember That the very people we become angry with are people who are blind. They are in darkness. They know nothing else but sin and death and darkness and destruction. And their life simply reflects that reality. We need to think about all those who do not have eyes to see. Simeon heard the voice of salvation. He heard The cry of the baby Jesus. How often do we hear sounds all around us, yet still we are deaf to his words speaking to us, even through the very creation. Think of all those we encounter each day who are blind and deaf, walking in darkness, being darkness, and destroying their lives and the lives of others in their sin, in their death, and in their darkness. There is a way to be righteously angry, but we must be very careful that our righteous anger does not become sinful anger pointed toward people who are blind and deaf and darkness. And the only hope they will ever have is Jesus. The world is walking blind in darkness. We must pray that God grant us repentance and give us eyes to see and ears to hear his salvation. We must pray for those around us for eyes to see and ears to hear and lips to praise him. This requires not only our fervent and earnest prayers, but our hard work to see the nations and our neighbors, not just the nation, but our neighbors discipled and our land healed. The world is walking blind in darkness. The church is set free from that darkness. Now we are light in the Lord, and we are to walk as children of light. We are to live our lives with eyes wide open to see. In Christ, we no longer walk in darkness. If we are children of light, walking in darkness, then we must repent and walk in the light as He is in the light. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine for all to see that they may glorify your Father in heaven. We let our light shine that in His grace and by His gospel of power, those blind and those deaf in darkness would see and know the light of salvation in Jesus Christ. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. Simeon declares, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. God prepared his salvation before the face of all peoples. He shone his light that all could see. What God did in sending his son, he did openly before all. Jesus is called the light of the world. He is the light of the world. He is not hidden under a basket. He was literally set on a hill for all to see his light and his glory, even in his death. This salvation the Father prepared before the face of all people is Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. Simeon is rejoicing for his eyes have finally seen what he had waited for for so many years. In all of those years of not seeing, he did not lose faith. He did not lose hope. In spite of all the years he did not see... He never stopped looking for what he knew he would one day be able to see. He did not lose hope in what he knew he would be given the grace to see. Simeon's hope was not just for himself. It was hope prepared before the face of all people in all the world. Simeon's hope was not just about him personally fulfilling his assignment from God. Simeon's faith was not just a personal faith. This is a problem in the church today. We have far too many believers who are caught up with their personal relationship with Jesus. They're so caught up with their personal relationship with Jesus, they forgot that what Jesus came to accomplish was a corporate salvation. Yes, you must have a personal relationship with Jesus, but you cannot have that personal relationship with Jesus outside the corporate reality of his body any more than any part of my body can function and live being cut off and separated from the rest of my body. And we have bought the lie of the enemy and we have deceived ourselves into thinking that as long as I have my personal relationship with Jesus, I'm okay, I'm going to heaven. And that's all that matters. No, that's not all that matters. You are not here just to live out your personal salvation any more than Simeon was there to just live out his personal promise from God. He understood that his mission... The promise God gave to him was not just for him. It was not just about him. In fact, he says it here. It was about all people. Not just even about Israel, but about all nations, about Jew and Gentile alike, all people. Our life here, Our time of visitation here is about more than just us, personally. It's about more than just our families. We are part of God's body. We are part of 
his church. And his church is here for a corporate move of God, for a corporate salvation, for an impact, not just on us personally, but to impact our culture. This is why we as a church take a stand for righteousness, even when it's not popular. Even when other pastors tell me, you're making a mistake, people aren't going to want to come to your church if they see you saying these things and taking a stand. God didn't call me to be a pastor, to be a magnet, so that people would be drawn to my church and my ministry could be successful. Jesus has called each and every one of us, whether you're called to be a pastor or not, you're believers, you're called to the work of ministry. You've been saved by the same gospel I've been saved by. You've been called by the same Holy Spirit I'm called by. My vocation as a pastor is is not special in the sense that I have a closer relationship with God than you do. I don't. I have the same Holy Spirit in me that you have in you. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that Jesus had in him. You have the same Holy Spirit in you that fell on the disciples of Christ at the day of Pentecost. It caused Peter to go forth and preach a sermon and see 3,000 men saved. And it wasn't Peter's good preaching that saved those men. It was God's good grace that saved them by the power of his Holy Spirit and the gospel that Peter preached. And if we think, whether we're pastors or just people sitting in the pews listening to the pastor, if we think that we're going to grow our churches that we're going to make our ministry successful by being more appealing to the world, that might work for a time, but one day we're going to stand in judgment before God. And God's not going to care how popular, how big, how successful financially or seats in the pews our churches were. What he will care about is, did you preach my gospel? Did you live my gospel? Did you worry more about what men think of you, or do you worry more about what I think of you? Do you fear men more than you fear God? And if the answer is yes, I do, then we need to all repent. If I fear men more than I fear God, then I need to repent as a pastor, and you better pray for me. And I'm not saying I can't fall into that sin. We are all human. In the world... If you think the pressure is on now, you just wait and see. It's just starting. It is just starting. And this is not what the enemy's doing. Uh, The enemy's doing it. But the enemy's doing it the same way the Babylonians did it to Judah. The enemy's doing it to the church the same way that the Romans did it to Jerusalem in 70 AD. God sent those enemies. God ordained those enemies to judge his people. And do you know what's happening? It's really a glorious thing. What's happening is God is using his enemies to reveal the true condition of his church. Because we no longer live in a culture, we no longer have a nation or a culture in which we can just quietly live out our personal faith in Jesus 
and believe for my personal blessings and the blessings for my family, and I can just love Jesus and, and be content, I'm, I'm not living in that world any longer. And thank God we're not. Because that is an impotent, weak church. And the impotency and the weakness of the church has been revealed over the last several years. It was revealed with COVID. It's revealed every day with the culture wars that are going on. When every day Christians have to make a choice. Am I going to offend the culture? Am I going to get canceled by the culture? Am I going to lose followers on my Facebook or my Twitter or my, uh, or my Instagram if I say this, if I stand for this? Oh, I think maybe I just won't post that because I don't want to upset anybody. I'm not advocating you posting on social media. But I am saying you're going to have to decide whether you're going to take a stand or not. You're going to have to decide whether your friends are going to still want to be friends with you or not. If they want to belong to the same clubs with you or not. And you have to be more concerned about the gospel of Christ and the truth of God than about the culture around you. Because remember, the world is blind, deaf, and in darkness And their only hope of life, their only hope to see, their only hope to hear, their only hope is in Jesus. And if we are afraid to give to them the Jesus of the Bible, then we don't really love them and we don't really care about them and we don't really care much except about our own personal, private relationship with Jesus. So I justify my compromise Because I still have my private, personal relationship with Jesus. And that will never go away. Well, I got news for you, honey. Sir, ma'am. That was never meant to remain your personal thing. You are part of a corporate salvation. And you are to be a witness to this world. Even if it costs you your life. It's always so funny. Because people say... Well, you need to be more like the Jesus you profess to believe in. You're not like Jesus at all. Oh, really? And I I would say, you are exactly right. I mean, Jesus loved to, to such a supreme level that they killed him. I haven't even come close to that yet. And if we think that we're going to be nicer than Jesus, that we're going to be more loving than Jesus... They murdered Jesus for his love. We're not close to that yet. I'm not saying it won't come. It has come in other parts of the world. When I was in Ethiopia, I met pastors who suffered that kind of persecution, who have friends and family and co-pastors who suffered to the point of death. And we can't identify with that here because God in His grace has blessed us for so long. But praise the Lord. He is revealing the true condition of His church. And we should not not resist that. We should embrace that and ask God to reveal the true condition of our own hearts. Amen. 
Think about all the things we see all the thi- or all the things we do not see that we desperately desire to see. Things that give us reason to doubt. Things that give us reason to lose hope, to grow weary, to lose heart. Those things are all around us. We often strain to see the things that we're not meant to see while refusing to see the very things the Lord has revealed to us, even His salvation. This has been a challenge for God's people throughout history, and we are no different today. The temptations have not changed. Think about how long Simeon waited to see the Lord's Christ. He was an old man when Jesus was brought into that temple. Simeon is an example for us. He resisted the temptation to be moved by what he did not see or what he did see. Remember, he was a just and a devout man. He knew what injustice and idolatry looked like, and it was all around him. He trusted, though, in God's promise. He had God's word revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. How much more do we have God's word now revealed to us by the Holy Spirit? His spirit is not just upon us as it was upon Simeon, but his spirit now lives within us. Jesus has not left us. Jesus is the Christ who is in us. Christ has come. The Word who is God lives in us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in us illuminates and reveals the Word of God. The Word we read, the Word we study and meditate on, the Word, more importantly, that was made flesh, the Word that dwells in us. Do you Do you know, I know you know, here. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian, so Jesus lives in me. No, do you know? Do you know what that means? Well, I'm just going to help you out here. I don't think any of us are capable of really knowing what that means. But do you have a revelation of this truth? That the Lord of glory, the very creator of heaven and earth dwells within you. I don't think we do. I'm going to confess to you, I don't think I do. And I don't think the majority of his church does, because if they did, I think we'd see a very different church in the world today. I think we'd see a very different church in our communities and in our nation. But here's the good news. God loves us enough that he is not going to leave us in our complacency He's not going to leave us in our willful ignorance. God is going to do a work in us by His Spirit. He has promised us that. And so we can be hopeful. God will do the work. And God in His grace will make us ready for the things that will transpire as He does that work. Christ has come. The Word who is God lives in us by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit in us illuminates and reveals the Word of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Simeon says, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. These inspired words are just as relevant for us today as they were then for Simeon and the people of his day, we too are called to see the Lord's salvation prepared before the face of all people. 
We are to make that salvation known to all people. We are to make his salvation known to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, our co-workers, our close, our distant relatives, even to complete strangers. We cannot convince people to believe. I want you to hear me, church. Your job is not to go out and convince people to believe in Jesus. You can't do that. And if you could, it would be a false faith. Because if you can convince them to believe, somebody's going to come along that will convince them not to believe. No, our job is not to convince people to believe. We are commanded to give witness to the way, the truth, and the life who is Christ, our salvation. We deliver the message. The message is what is the power of God to save. Not our persuasive speech, not our good reasoned arguments. We do this to shine the light of salvation prepared before the faces of all people. Then in Luke 2.32, Simeon declares this, A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Light to the Gentiles, glory to your people, Israel. Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light that brings revelation to the nations. Remember, that's what that word Gentile means. It means the nations. He is the light that is the glory of his people, Israel. Who are Israel? Everyone other than the nations. For centuries, Israel was almost exclusively Jewish. But with the coming of Jesus... The light that has appeared before all people and for all people. The light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to Israel with the coming of Jesus. Israel has been expanded beyond just an ethnic group of people called the Jews or we call the Jews to the peoples of all the world, to the world. To every tongue, to every tribe, to every nation, Jew and Gentile, all people without a revelation of Christ are in darkness, no matter their ethnicity. We are called to bring the light of Christ to all people. The Lord does not exclude any, but welcomes all who come to the light and life, who is Christ the Savior. Israel had the light. That does not mean none of God's people were in darkness. The nation, the corporate people of God, was given the light through the scriptures, through the law and the prophets and the writings. They had the light, but so many walked in darkness. They walked in such darkness that they murdered their Messiah because they could not see. They would not see. They wanted not a God to save them. They wanted a God who would allow them to continue to be their own God. The same thing that we all want today, that those in darkness want today. They want to be their own God. It's what Adam and Eve wanted in the garden. This is the condition. This is the desire of fallen humanity. God dwelt among his people in pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. 
He dwelt with them on the mercy seat between the cherubim. His glory was among them, even when they did not have eyes to see. In fact, he was their glory, and they did not know it. Simeon saw the glory of God's people. He took him up in his arms. He held him and blessed the Lord God because of him. Jesus Christ is the glory of his people, Israel. He is the glory of his church, who is the true Israel of God now made up of Jew and Gentile, of all peoples, all saved by the same means, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Israel's identity has never been in her ethnicity, but in her faith in God. Your identity before the Father has nothing to do with your ethnicity, Your identity before the Father has everything to do with your faith in Jesus Christ. No man was ever saved by ancestry. We are saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. This is what the Jews thought. They thought they were saved by ancestry. You can read it in John 8. Go read John chapter 8. And you'll see how the Jews thought they were saved by ancestry. And they said indignantly to Jesus, We are of our father Abraham. We have never been in bondage. And Jesus said, If you are of your father Abraham, you'd hear my words. But you're not of your father Abraham. You're of your father the devil. And that's why you can't hear my words. And then he says, Besides that, before Abraham was, I am. And they all became even more indignant, picked up stones to kill him because they knew exactly what he had just said, that he was indeed God. The church, God's corporate people in the earth, are given the light, but many still walk in darkness, justifying sin, compromising the gospel. We are called to call them out and to call them up. We're not, we're not here to call the world out. God will judge the world. But Paul makes it very clear that we are to judge the church. Those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, we are to not just allow them to be in their sin unchallenged. Those of you who are spiritual, go to your brother who you see in sin, and with meekness and humility, go to him. Meekness and humility so you don't fall into the same sin he's in. But if you really love your brother, you're going to go to your brother who professes to love God. And he can't love God and love his sin. He can't serve God and serve his sin. I just saw this. I just read the article yesterday that Amy Grant. And this is what the article called her. Christian music royalty. I mean, how arrogant is that? I mean, she didn't, she didn't write that. The, the guy who wrote the article wrote that. But Amy Grant is going to be there and be totally supportive of her niece who's getting married in a same-sex marriage. And Amy Grant, in the article, says that Jesus only told us to do two things, love God and love one another. 
And it doesn't matter who you are and how you live and how you express your life. That's what she said. Man, I got saved in 1984. I came to faith in Christ in 1984. And I loved listening to Amy Grant's music back then. But by the grace of God, don't, don't, don't become uh, arrogant and condescending and think that you too could never fall to that place that she has fallen to, affirming as good, as loving, as righteous, as holy what the Bible calls sin. It's what she's doing. And she's not alone. There are countless pastors. There are countless uh, Christians who have very well-known names. There are countless Christians who you'll never know their name and you'll never see their face who believe the very same things that Amy Grant believes. That it doesn't matter how you live your life. It doesn't matter who you love. Marriage is love between two people. It doesn't matter if they're different sex or the same sex. The only problem with that, it all sounds really good, the only problem with that is it goes absolutely contrary to the Word of God. And we can't just cherry pick a few scriptures and say, oh, here's the Bible, we're good. Oh yeah, you can, you can love that man, sir. You can marry that man, sir. Because the Bible says, see these few Scriptures I've picked out for you, now your sin is justified. No, it's not. And if you love God and you truly love your fellow man who is in sin and darkness and death, then you will not affirm their sin. Even if it's your family member. Especially, Christian, especially if it's your family member, don't affirm their sin. Don't do it. Love them. Speak the truth in love, even if they get offended. Because perhaps the power of the gospel will actually break through the hardness of their heart and save them. And on that day of judgment, they will thank you that you loved them enough to tell them the truth, to live the truth, to stand for the truth, even though it was costly when you did so. As his church, Christ is now our identity and the only way to the Father. He is our light and glory that has come. We have reason to rejoice, and we should in a most glorious manner rejoice and celebrate. Merry Christmas. Jesus is King and Lord of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Let us stand and I will give you your charge. Simeon's song is a song of hope. After 400 years of silence, after 400 years with no prophetic word, after 400 years pregnant with promise, held in silence, after 4,000 years, 
years since the promise of his coming was first spoken in the garden by God himself, in the fullness of time the Savior came. Simeon believed the promise, and now he was holding the promise in his arms. You and I are holding the promise in our hearts. We carry the presence of his promise in the clay vessels of our bodies, animated by God's breath of life and the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus is not someone we carry. Jesus is someone who carries us. He is the head and we are the members of his body. We are abiding in him even as he abides in us. He is the true vine, the root of Jesse. We are the branches abiding in him. He is our life, and apart from him, you can do nothing. As amazing as it was for Simeon to hold the baby Jesus, it is infinitely more amazing and miraculous to be in relationship to God as we are held by him in Christ. In the new covenant, If Simeon was faithful to the end, we even more. If Simeon did not lose heart, we even more. If Simeon had hope, we even more. We have God's promise that these light afflictions are working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. The tribulations of this world as they were in Simeon's day are producing in us endurance, character, and hope. And hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by his Holy Spirit. We belong to Jesus. We were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. We are sealed by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, fear not For his love for you is perfect and complete. His plan for you is glorious. His promise to you is sure. Keep looking unto Jesus. Keep walking by faith. Keep trusting. Keep working and praying that his kingdom come, that his will be done on earth in you and through you and around you as it is in heaven. He is the author and the finisher of our faith just like he was for Simeon. And just like Simeon, you and I will see his promise fulfilled. He is our hope. Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen. The Lord be with you.